So the service, the service will look again a little different today. What the way we're going to do it this time is our brother Aaron is going to give a short devotion, a Thanksgiving devotion, so he'll be coming up to do that. Following that, we have six testi- seven testimonies. Seven. It's like I don't know what's going on, but I'm the one who put them on there. I do. I'm just, you know, catching back up. Seven testimonies of brothers and sisters that are going to come forward. And basically what we're doing is I've asked them to just share with us um, concerning the goodness of God, God's goodness in their life, how they've seen that in the past, the present, and indeed we even see it coming in the future by faith. So they're going to be doing that. They're uh, hopefully going to be speaking for five minutes or less <laughs> so that there's time for each one of them uh, to share. So to the, those giving testimonies, remember, you'll just come up one after another, and please just introduce yourself and then go ahead and, and share with us. And, then, and remember, uh, please give me your attention. You know, it's kind of, it is difficult to get up here in front of folks, and so it helps when you're looking and you're engaged, it helps. It helps with the speaker. It helps them to be able to share with you. And then I, when they're all done, I'll come up and close out uh, with the final announcement, the service. And, uh, and that's what we're going to do today, all right? All right, brothers and sisters. So with that, would you give your attention to our brother Aaron? Okay. Share with us, brother. Good morning. We have a lot to be thankful for. Would you guys agree? God is good. And um, this morning I wanted to just share about God's goodness. And I'm sure a lot of our lives, and um, especially around salvation. And I am actually looking, really looking forward to the brothers and sisters that are going to be coming up um, here today to just listen to their testimonies and what God has done in their life and what they're truly thankful for. And I just wanted to say that sometimes, you know, I don't think we we focus on the goodness of God as much as that we should and be truly thankful for what he has given us. And that could be for a lot of reasons. You know, I mean, we all struggle with things in our life and there's circumstances and things that happen. And um, sometimes it's easy to, to forget about all the goodness that God gives us and what we have to be thankful for even in the midst of those times. And uh, with that in mind, I just wanted to take a few moments and talk about God's goodness and salvation. And we have a lot to be thankful for when it comes to salvation and what God has done to redeem and save his people. Um, And when you read the scriptures about what God has done in our life and what it took in order to bring someone to himself, is truly humbling, and we should be in awe and, and thankful for that. So first thing I wanted to do was uh, just the, review the Christian definition of salvation, <clears throat> and it says here, the deliverance by the grace of God, the eternal punishment, from the eternal punishment from sin, which is granted to those who accept by faith God's condition of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So salvation is available in Jesus and Jesus alone, and it's dependent on God alone for provision, assurance, and security. And since the fall, I'm sure we all are aware of the fall of mankind, we've been plagued by sin to our very core, 
It entered the world, and we were instantly separated from God. We were completely separate from him as a result of the fall. We came rebellious against him, his holiness, his righteousness, and it just didn't affect just simply our relationship with God. It affected our hearts and desires. It didn't affect our hearts mildly. It affected it deeply and severely. The fall was great. It was no small thing. And so much so that we didn't have the desire to please him or obey him. And the ultimate consequence for that sin is death, right? And I think that if we generally ask people if people are good, you know, I think that if we ever ask somebody, hey, are you a good person? I think generally people would say yes. And I think the reason for that is, is because they're looking at it through a different lens. I think that a lot of the time that when we ask that question, we are asking in the sense of comparing yourself to other people, right? Instead of comparing it to an almighty, holy God, all of a sudden we think of ourselves as good. And of course, there are things that people do that are really bad, right? And I think that we compare ourselves to a, to a murderer or somebody like that, right? You think, oh, well, I'm not doing those types of things, so... I'm generally a good person. And I think that's a natural response. But if we look at a closer look at what God says about man and our heart and our sinful condition, I think that we'll rethink that position. And I think that from a salvation standpoint, I think that what we need to remember is that since the heart of man is depraved and we understand where we once stood before God, then we can really appreciate the salvation that he provided for us, what he had to do to change our heart. But let's take a look look at Scripture really quick. And I just have some Scripture I wanted to read about the depravity of man's heart that kind of makes us understand of where we once stood before God. In the book of Jeremiah, we read that man is deceitful and desperately wicked. Psalms in Ephesians tells us that man is born dead in their trespasses and sin. The book of John tells us that man is held captive by a love for sin and does not understand the things of God. The book of Romans tells us that man will not seek for God and that they suppress the truth and unrighteousness and willfully live in sin. Man is hostile towards God and cannot submit to his laws. 1 Corinthians tells us that man views the gospel of Christ as foolishness. And I think we'd agree that based on the scripture I just read, that no one is good. And Romans 3.10 tells us that. It says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So I think it's really good for us to remember where we once stood. And this is, you know, from a believer's standpoint, where we once stood before God, before he graciously chose to save us. And we should be thankful for that grace and mercy. Since Scripture is very clear that we've been affected by sin, and we just read that no one seeks after God, no one seeks after God, then how is anyone saved at all? That's a question that I often ask myself um, when I became a, a believer and started reading the Scriptures and what God says on the subject of salvation. I started to think to myself, was it me that drummed up enough faith and goodness in order to come to him, and then reading what God's word says on the subject that no one seeks after God, I started to think, then how did that happen? How did, 
How did God bring me to himself in order to give me the faith that was necessary to put my trust and faith in him and him alone? It was a very humbling thing when I really got into scripture and started to understand what it took for God to do that. And the answer to that is that God had to overcome our depravity. He had to overcome each one of us, those that are believers in Christ. He had to overcome our depravity in such a way that we were able to recognize our spiritual state and our hopeless condition. He had to cause us to, to see that. We were spiritually blind and had to have him open our eyes that we would see our hopelessness and our bondage to sin, and that he gave us the faith that was necessary to believe in him and respond to the gospel message, because we know that faith comes through hearing, right? So when we heard that gospel message, that was an opportunity where God took to change our heart, opened our hearts, so we would believe the message that was being communicated to us. So ultimately, God had to draw us to himself. And what does that really mean? I think the clearest verse around God drawing his people to salvation is in John 6, where Jesus declared, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. So no one can come to him unless the Father draws him. Now, I just wanted to focus that on a second because that's a really important scripture to understand what God needed to do in order to save each and one of his people. That in our sinful condition, we, had, we don't seek after him. We have no interest in him at that time. But he drew us to himself so we would come to him. He would overcome our deceitful and wicked heart and that we would see our need for Christ. So you think about that. Is there anything more humbling than that? When you really think about that, is there anything more humbling to know that God didn't leave us in our sins? He didn't leave us dead in our trespasses and sin, that he loved us so much that he would show that to us. So, Romans 9.16 tells us that salvation does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So it's not our human will. We didn't drum up the unnecessary faith. Or we didn't try really hard to bring ourselves to God, but he did it on his own will and his own love for us. So can our salvation be earned? Can we create enough faith within ourselves to come to Christ and call him Lord and Savior? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so no one may boast. So we've been saved by grace through faith. It's not of our own doing. It's not a work. This is not something that we were able to do on our own. We cannot boast as if we could save ourselves. We just weren't simply weren't capable of doing that. It's a gift. It's a gift. Cannot be earned. He simply chose to love us, and as a result of that love towards his people, we came to him. Romans 5.8 tells us that God showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even in our sin, he died for us, knowing who we were and who we are. He loved us so much that he would die for us. So I just want to recap on what God has done to continue to save his people. He caused us to recognize our spiritual, dead state and hopeless condition. He opened our spiritually blind eyes and gave us the faith, the gift of faith, so that we would come to him. 
The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, which results in repentance. We turn away from that sin and showed us our need for Jesus Christ. And at that moment, suddenly we're giving a new heart. We're considered new creations. He gave us a heart to desire and obey him and walk in newness of life. And if he didn't do that, you truly understand what the scripture just taught us? If he didn't do that, we would never come to him. We never would have done that because we couldn't have done it on our own. Now, in regards to the gift of salvation that God has graciously given us, we also have assurance of that salvation. That's what gives us our peace and our joy, right? So we have this eternal assurance of salvation, and we can't be lost, right? We cannot lose our salvation. Um, It's impossible, okay? He holds us secure in our salvation, I know that people have, you probably have heard that if, you know, if I accepted Christ and then you hear people turning away and they um, reject their Savior, it's because they were never saved in the first place. Consider John 5, 11 through 13, it says this, and this is the testimony God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has a Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants us to know and rest in that assurance that we have eternal life with him. Jesus himself assures us to those who believe in him. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Do you know that no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand? No one snatch you out of Jesus' hand? Even yourself, you cannot take yourself out of the eternal security of Christ. That's something that we should be, have great assurance of, even from yourself. We're sav- he's saving us from ourselves. And that's something to be truly thankful for. Because if I could lose my salvation, I would. So we should take joy in what God's word is saying to us here and be humbled that he chose his children, knowing full well what we deserved, and said he lavished his grace and his undeserved kindness upon us. He saved us to bring him glory. That's why we're here. We're here to glorify God. It's all about him. We're called to share the gospel with other people, share with lost people that need Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We're called to share that sweet gospel that we came to know him, we were drew to him, and as a result of that, we are saved by him. In closing, I just wanted to read a small portion of a daily devotional book. You may have heard of it. It's called The Gospel Primer. It's basically a book just all about the gospel and what we have to be thankful for when it comes to to our salvation and and in our life just in general of what we need to appreciate God for. And the title of this section in the book is called Thankfulness Enriched by Relief. And this is what the author says. The more absorbed I am in the gospel, the more grateful I become in the midst of my circumstances, whatever they may be. Viewing life's blessings as water in a drinking cup I know that I could discontently focus on half of the cup that seems empty or could gratefully focus on the half that is full, and certainly the latter approach is better of the two, yet the gospel cultivates within me 
a richer gratitude than this. The gospel reminds me first that what I actually deserve from God is a full cup churning with the torments of his wrath. This is the cup that would be mine to drink if I were given what I deserve each day. With this understanding in mind, I see that to be handed a completely emptied cup from God would be cause enough for infinite gratitude. If there were merely the tiniest drop of blessing contained in that otherwise empty cup, I should be blown away by the unbelievable kindness of God towards me. That God, in fact, has given me a cup that is full of every spiritual blessing in Christ, and this without the slightest admixture of wrath, leaves me truly dumbfounded with inexpressible joy. When I look at any circumstance that God apportions me, I am first grateful for the wrath I am not receiving in that moment. The empty part of the cup never looks so good. Second, I am grateful for the blessings that are given to me instead of his wrath. Life's blessings, however small, always appear exceedingly precious when viewed against the backdrop of the wrath I deserve. This two-layered gratitude disposes my heart to give thanks in all things, and it lends a certain intensity of my giving thanks. Such gospel-generated gratitude glorifies God, contributes to peace of mind, and keeps my foot from the path of foolishness and ruin. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we have so much to be thankful for. Thank you for your amazing power and work in our lives. Thank you for your goodness and for your blessings over us. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for that you are able to bring hope through even the toughest times, strengthening us for your purposes. Thank you for your great love and care. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank, thank you that you are always with us and will never leave us. Thank you for your incredible sacrifice so that we might have freedom in life. Forgive us for when we do not thank you enough for you and for who you are and for what you do and for all that you have given Help us set our eyes and hearts on you. Renew our spirits. Fill us with your peace and joy. We love you and we need you this day and every day. We give you praise and thanks for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. How are you doing? Probably not as nervous as me, so that's probably a good thing. Just wanted to share a couple things this morning about God's goodness. And we've talked about the fact that the Lord has died for our sins and given us eternal life. I mean, that's pretty good. I think anything after that's pretty much gravy, right? Um, and then we sometimes, as we go along in this life, we get the attitude of, when things happen to us that, hey, that's not fair. That's not supposed to happen. And uh, that's pretty messed up, okay, because bad things happen. I'd like to just share two things with you here. Uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, there was a member of our church by the name of Rich Thomas, and he was 
uh, coach and a teacher. And at football practice uh, one day, he got hit in the head with a football. And he dropped to the ground unconscious. And when they got him to the hospital, they did a brain scan and they said, uh, Mr. Thomas, uh, your brainstem is completely surrounded by a net of nerves and it is squeezing your brainstem. And left unchecked, you're going to die. Well, immediately when this happened, our church started a 24-hour prayer chain. Everybody in the church took a half-hour time period and from the moment that that was activated, it was supposed to work all the way up through the time of his surgery. Um, my time slot was 7 to 7.30, which meant that I would be praying for Rich as I rode my bike across town to get to morning football practice. And Rich Thomas was covered for 24 hours a day, all the way up to that time of that surgery. And on the day of the surgery, they took one last scan so they could measure just how far the network had grown so they would know what to expect when they got in there. Um, after taking the scan, they came into Rich's room and they said, uh, Mr. Thomas, I don't know how to explain this to you, but there's no nerve net there. Your brainstem is completely normal. There is no need for surgery at all. Um, this, we can't explain this. Um, it's a miracle. And uh, it truly was, obviously. And for Rich, that had a certain impact. But for those the rest of us, there was also uh, a significant impact. The Lord used that um, in my life because uh, he, drove point, he drove home the point that he is the living God. And that prayer brings us closer to him and that he does listen to our prayers. And as I continued into the high school years um, and everything that goes with that, he sustained me. Um, among many other things that he used, he used this healing of Richard Thomas to remind me that whatever the world said about Jesus, I knew that he was alive and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, other prayers have been answered with healing, but you know what? Um, some haven't been answered with healing, okay? And if Rich had been taken home rather than healed, does that make God any less than who he is? I mean, the important thing is not the healing, but that we serve a risen Lord. And just because he doesn't necessarily give us an answer that we want does not mean he's any less sovereign, okay? He's still on the throne. Um, that he does have a perfect plan for our life, and sometimes we think we know what that is and how he's going to accomplish that. We know what, in our mind, seems to make sense. And as we go through this life, things happen, and we're like, hey, what's up with that? That's, that's not cool. Um, but sometimes the things he wants to accomplish in us can only be produced by trials and tribulations. And those are Bible words for painful things that suck. Um, honestly, there are things that we really would never volunteer to go through because we really don't see the big picture. So in our minds, it sucks, okay? But in real life, um, the Lord knows exactly what he's doing. 
And if we remain focused on him and trust in him, then no matter what happens, we have a peace and a knowledge that whatever is happening is not only, he's not only aware of it, that he's at work using it for his glory and to conform us to his image. And when these bad things happen, we can either turn to him or we can turn from him. And we, the choice of turning from him is, is disastrous, okay? Um, I'm reminded in the scriptures, uh, it talks about a time when the Lord told his disciples, hey, let's get in the boat and go to the other side of the sea, okay? They were going to go across this. He wanted to get away from the crowds, and so he said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. And as they're going across the sea right there, a storm hit, and it was pretty bad. Scripture talks about how the waves are crashing over the boat, the boat's filling with water, and Jesus is asleep in the stern of the boat. And the disciples have waited as long as they can, and now they're like realizing, okay, this is it. We better wake him up, because it's about to happen. Uh, Lord, don't you care we're going to die right now? And... He calms the sea and the wind, and he turns to him and says, where's your faith, guys? Why, why do you still lack faith? And I've always thought, man, that seems kind of harsh to say. I mean, look at it from their perspective. Um, now, some of you may have already seen this, but the Lord just kind of showed this to me here recently, that the Lord wasn't saying, hey, let's get in this boat and try to get to the other side. I mean, I hope we make it. You know, hope something bad doesn't happen. But he said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. And so, as we go on this sea of life that we're on, okay, there's going to be times of smooth sailing, and there's going to be some storms. Things are going to happen we're not going to expect. Things are going to be looking really bad, and and again, the temptation is, well, then I'm out. Forget that. But if we stay focused on the Lord, and if we're believers, he's in our boat with us. Okay? And uh, I'll just read John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you that. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's his promise. He's going to take us to the other side. Okay? And so, no matter what's happening, we can trust in him. He is trustworthy. He has not a single promise he's ever made that he's broken. And if he's promised to get us to the other side, when these things happen, then we can truly believe Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Thank you. Hi, I'm Julie Norris. Um, I do the children's choir. If your kids want to sign your kids up, just a little plug. Um, I, when Jeremy asked me to do this, I wanted to say no, because who likes this, really? But, um, <laughs> but my very sweet husband encouraged me to. 
Um, and when I had been thinking about God's goodness over the last few weeks, um, two things came to mind, um, two specific areas. And first, I want to read a scripture. Psalm 66, 10 through 12 says, For you, O God, have tested us. You've tried us, um, sorry, you have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You have laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads, and we went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out of a place to a place of abundance. Um, and so the first area I think about is our marriage. Um, when Kevin and I got married 13 years ago, one of the things that we have always prayed is that God would be glorified in our marriage, that God would use it, that God would um, make us, make our marriage into something that people in our families and those around us would see God's goodness in that. Well, when you pray that, it's like praying for patience. And in that, for the last few years, God has tested us, changed us, and made us to hopefully be more like him. Because God wants us to be refined. He wants us to not stay where we're at. And that means for me as a wife to be an instrument of God's grace. So when my husband disappoints me, because he does, I know, shocker, um, and when he hurts me, which he does and will, I get to be an instrument of God's grace and mercy. And sometimes I don't want to be. Sometimes I want to be mad. And I might have a right to be mad. But I choose grace. And that's a hard choice to make. But God refines us. And he brings us to the end of ourselves, to the beginning of him. Um, I totally lost my place. Um, and then the other area that God has, you know, just shown me his goodness is um, in something that happened to Kevin, more Kevin than me, but in January, Kevin um, had eye surgery. He is in the medical field, and he is a researcher, and he make sure that he does his due diligence. And he had really, really bad vision and really wanted to have LASIK surgery. And so he did in January of 2018. And in that surgery, they did one eye, and it was great. And they did the other eye, and something went wrong. And so um, I get a call to come get him because I was... It was a very long process, and I had taken my kids to kind of hang out. And um, I get a call that says, you need to come pick him up. And when I picked him up, my very strong, able man um, was crushed. And that's a really hard thing to witness as a wife. And so all the things that the Lord has taught us over the last few years of our marriage going through, nothing horrible, just tried, um, led me to a point of do, where do I get to be? Do I get to be the wife that, that comes alongside and supports and holds up 
when things go bad. And so the surgeon, who was very renowned, um, said they put the wrong information in the laser and they pretty much destroyed his cornea in his left eye. And so we did not know where that would go. We did not know what would happen. We did not know where that would take us. We did not know that he could go back to the hospital two days later and work. We, we had no clue. But I remember sitting there in the waiting room with my kids, and I said, it doesn't matter what happens. God is good, and he is good in the good times, and he's good in the bad times. Um, and there was a scripture that um, someone shared with me, and it, it's Psalm 18.6. It says, when I was in trouble, I called out to the Lord. I cried to my God for help, and from his temple he heard my voice. My cry for help reached his ears. And then it goes through that. It talks, it's all about David David um, getting away from Saul and all the things that he went through and, and all the hard things he went to. And then Psalm 18, the last part of it, 18b says, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a broad place and he rescued me because he delighted in me. Um, and so, you know, through this whole process, through this whole time, you know, we got to see God's goodness. We got to see God's goodness in our friends saying, you know what, because Kevin couldn't drive for a, very, for a few weeks and saying, you know what, I'll pick him up and take him to men's study. What do you guys need? And, and that's what the body of Christ did for us is they came alongside us and they said, we don't know what you need, but we're here. And they would pray for us. They would call Kevin. They would encourage him because it's a really hard thing to go through. Um, But the one thing that we have learned is that regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what will happen, he had, they tried to do a corrective surgery in July, and it probably is not going to work how they thought it is going to work. And so his vision for the, probably the rest of his life will be altered. Um, but regardless of that, God is sovereign. And God is good because I don't have to agree with it. I don't have to like it. I don't have to even want to be in it. But I get to trust. And that's my job. And through that, through all those circumstances of the, of the you know, being refined in marriage, being refined in, in just our lives ourselves, is do I trust the Lord? Do I put my faith in him alone? And what I have seen through all of that is that God never fails us. And God is always there. He, is, he does not leave us. And what the greatest thing about this is my children have got to see us walk through this and trust the Lord. And not trust in a job, not trust in that our circumstances are good, not trust in... Um, that we live in a world that is, that is free, per se, but that God is good. And he gets to see, they get to see that. And that is, to me, one of the greatest blessings of all. Thank you. Being thankful, huh? God is good, huh? Why do you think that? 
I don't know. Maybe because he loves me? Besides, the Bible tells me so. And you're sure about that? Yes, I am. I mean, I think so. Back and forth, this conversation goes on and on. Back and forth, as if God's nature or character are on trial. You have nothing to show for your life and all of your hard work. Let's not forget all the bad decisions you made that put us here. Let's not kid ourselves. I know you're not content where you are. You want more, and you're disappointed in how your life turned out. I may feel like that at times, but who doesn't? It's normal. And yes, there are some past life choices I would have done differently, but I'm exactly where God wants me to be. He is in control. Okay, was God in control when your first marriage failed? Yes, I've learned so much since then, and I didn't know about God's goodness. I wasn't saved. I prayed for a godly woman, and God has answered my prayers. I am blessed with a beautiful wife now. Okay, was God in control when your parents got divorced? Remember how ugly and painful that was? Yes, I remember. How can I forget how that tore my world apart? But despite all of that, I still love and pray for them. I live my life to honor God, and since he is my anchor, I have strength where they have failed. I refuse to let my children go through what I went through. Okay, was God in control when your only sibling died before your kids were born? Yes, he, you know your children will never know him, play with him, develop a special bond with him, no uncle in their precious little lives to take on fishing trips, ice cream dates, crazy adventures, Christmas, Thanksgivings, birthdays, nothing. I know, he's not here. I don't need, to keep, I don't need you to keep reminding me of that. It's true, he cannot share these things with me. But as their father, I can. I can do those wild things with them as he would have done. And I can do it to honor his memory and to make sure they don't forget who he was. It was God who gave me the strength to endure his death, to be strong for my family, to not give up hope. It's God's goodness and love that keeps me and gives me comfort now. Okay, I know your job gives you heartache at times, and I know you're not completely, stop, enough. I know what you're trying to do, and it's not going to work this time. A long pause. No words are said, just harsh glances, then pondering. Looking around, a familiar object catches their attention. Don't you pick that up. Ignoring the ever-so-irritating voice, a smile begins to show while a soft, gentle brush of his hand strokes the cover of his Bible. His word, his promises, his goodness, his love, it's all right here within these pages. The God of the universe reveals himself here and reminds me just how good he is. Even though the most difficult of circumstances, life has to throw at us. He has not forgotten me, nor has he forsaken me. I am his, and he is mine. Serious? Isn't it just easier to go back to drugs and alcohol, fornicating and all that other fun stuff? This Christian living is hard. Yes, it is. I know it's not. I'm going to fail time and time again as a Christian, a husband, a father, a son, and a friend. 
But God will be there to catch me when I fall and to pick me back up, and he's going to help me finish this race. This book is life, and it encourages me. I want to know the God of this cosmos more intimately, who also desires a personal relationship with me. He has done everything for me. He's answered my prayers, delivered me from harm, but most important, he has delivered me from my sins, the death sentence I deserved, and he decided to save me for reasons unknown, and for that, I am thankful. After a tiring debate, the realization and reminder of what God, Yahweh, has done in this man's life brings to surface a newfound joy. Smiling with satisfaction while still staring at himself in the mirror, he then walks away with a grateful heart, excited to share his experiences with you here today. By the grace of God, I am here today, and I am reminded of this passage from Scripture, 1 Timothy 6, 6-8. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. So this Thanksgiving, whether you're going to share in a gut-busting turkey dinner with your family, or share some alone time with a turkey bologna sandwich, or maybe donate your time by serving at a shelter and serving the community, remember to reflect, share, and express the goodness of God with others. There is plenty for us to be thankful for. So the next time you are having a debate with your flesh, I'm unhappy with my job. Christ will suffice. I wish I had a bigger house or a better car. Christ will suffice. I wish I did this or that with my life. Christ will suffice. Meatloaf again, honey? Christ will suffice. God bless. He's so unlucky that I'm next. <laughs> The only time I've ever cooked this man a meatloaf, I, I wrapped it in bacon, okay? Come on. <laughs> By the way, it's our anniversary on Tuesday, so eight years. <laughs> so we're thankful for that. Well, my name is Roberta Fontaine. I'm married to Sean Fontaine. Uh, when Pastor Jeremy asked me to speak up here today about God's goodness, unlike Julie, <laughs> I said yes. I was like, donkey, you know, from Shrek. Me, me. I was, I was, I'll talk about it. <laughs> Immediately, I said yes. <laughs> but as I sat down to put it down to words, I froze. Out of a sudden, that task became a tall m mountain to climb. How do I communicate God's goodness in my life within the window of three to five minutes? Now I have a glimpse of what Pastor Jeremy goes through every Sunday, <laughs> and I sympathize. <laughs> so I made a plan. We hear that God is good all the time, despite our circumstances, right? So I decided to pinpoint two circumstances, a good one and a bad one, and I will hopefully highlight God's goodness in the midst of it all. Let's start with the good one, which, by the way, came from bad predicaments. Many of you know that I'm from Brazil, and I came here when I was 20. I had an absent dad who used to live in our home. I believe that the fact he was present in body but would not utter a word to us made me crave for male attention even more so. So at 13 years old, I started dating. 
serious relationships, all the works, if you know what I mean, at 13. I was trying to fill the huge gap in my heart. Fast forward now 12 years, I'm in America now, and many, 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 many broken relationships, and one abortion later, at 25, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That alone should be the highlight. (laughs) But let me finish my thought. After all that, here's the good part. I went on to live four years of my life for God in abstinence and saving myself for a guy who would treat me properly as a daughter of a king. And God gave me Sean. (laughs) Thanks, Jesus. (laughs) In that area of my life, God not only fixed what was broken. See, since my heart was filled with Jesus, he gave me Sean as a bonus, a relationship that is far more than a I could ever dreamed or imagined, even when I was blinded by darkness. Sean and I are uh, far from perfect, but I believe we are perfect for each other. He is the comedy show, and I'm the audience with the loud and exaggerated laughter. (laughs) And I mean it literally. You guys, if you heard my laughter, you know. (laughs) Guys, who gets named the adorable couple at their bridal shower before they even got married? (laughs) And I just want to share a little bit of the chorus of the song that we picked for our wedding. It's, for, it's uh, Bless the Broken Road by uh, Rascal Flatts. Uh, and it has everything to do with how we came together. It says, every long lost dream led me to where you are. Others who broke my heart, they were like northern stars, pointing me on my way into your loving arms. This much I know, it's true, that God blessed the broken road and led me straight to you. Um, And for that I say, hallelujah, God is good. (laughs) Lastly, this is a bad circumstance that we went through, but strangely to me, this was one of the most vivid marks of God's goodness in our life. I will not get into details, but three years ago we went through a financial turmoil, partly because of our bad habits, meaning we had not prepared for a rainy day when the tornado hit, and partly for external circumstances. Here's the good part. In the midst of that trial, I learned what true generosity was. A couple from our previous church already headed home from our midweek Wednesday night service. They drove to our place, which was actually close to church, so they had to go back quite a ways knocked on our door when we were already in our PJs, and handed us $300 in cash. Sorry. The wife, I'll never forget this. (laughs) Sorry. After she found out about our trouble, she said that she would find it hard to go to sleep (laughs) that night knowing that we couldn't make ends meet and their money was sitting in their bank account. (laughs) I got sorry. I was getting very emotional. That really touched my heart. It still does to this day. So we learned to to let go of our pride. Sean especially, you know, being the provider and all. We learned who is the provider. God is. We learned to be content. 
in that situation, God never left us. In fact, our rent and utilities were paid in a timely manner, and I cannot even explain how that happened. It is all a blur to me now. And how sweet Sean and I became closer than we had ever been before. To end on a sweet note, when we came out of that trial and got back on our feet, praise God for that too. At that time, we were brand new here at Summit, and Pastor Jeremy was preaching on First Peter sometime in 2016. <laughs> and I will share with you the verses that spoke so loudly to me and had me sobbing the whole service. So imagine having gone through that and, you know, out of that. It says, in this you rejoiced, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Amen. Good morning. It's hard to go after all these. I brought my tissue. All right. And I'm just going to read this because uh, we'll see if we can get through it. My name is Michelle Martin. My husband, Tom, and I have been going to this church now for just over two years. Um, and it's been a blessing. So I was really humbled when Jeremy asked me. I'm going to cry already. do this. There are just so many things to choose from because God really is so good. But I wanted to share one thing. So many things have happened in my life that have challenged and strengthened my faith. Sometimes I passed the test. Many times I did not on the first or the third or the fifth time. Stubbornness runs in my family and in my blood. I'm sure some of you can relate. In September of 2015, I had a routine eye exam to update my prescription glasses. My optometrist noticed a freckle on the back of my eye and referred me to see a specialist to have it checked out. It's probably nothing, she said, but we have it checked out no matter what. On October 3rd, five short months after my daughter Shelby was born, I was diagnosed with ocular melanoma in my left eye. It's a very rare type of cancer. Seen mostly in people over 60, and I'm not over 60, <laughs> with blue eyes. 
I remember sitting in that chair waiting to be seen by the oncologist and having a calm about us as we had already come to the conclusion that something was wrong. The appointment was to take us six weeks to get in and here we were a few days later after calling to schedule the appointment sitting with the oncologist. Yes, you have cancer, she said, but a huge wave of peace came over me and I felt as if God had put his hand on my shoulder and my soul just knew to be still, that everything would be okay. Tom and I looked at each other and we both went into fight mode. What's the plan? How do we attack this? Can we cut the tumor out? Do we have to remove my eye? It turns out the only way to remove a tumor inside the eye is to remove the whole eye. As you can see, I still have mine, which means I still have the tumor. 23 days later, I was in surgery to have a biopsy on the tumor and I had radiation placed directly behind my eye for a week. The surgery was done while I was awake. I don't really remember anything. I couldn't feel anything. Thankful for the pain meds. To say I was anxious is an understatement, especially when they tell you what can go wrong before you go into surgery. I had to stay away from my family for one week because of the radiation implanted in my eye. God provided a room at my mother-in-law's home, and what could have been a very hard week was one that was very restful and calming, and I was treated like royalty. Remember, I had a five-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old, so rest was not a word that I understood or knew. I don't even think to this day my mother-in-law knows just what she did and her husband did for me that week. At the end of the week, I had the radiation removed, where we found out that the numbing drops no longer worked, so I felt everything. Recovery was long. My eye returned to a resemblance of normal after a few weeks, or a few months, I'm sorry. My life since has been filled with many appointments, tests, ultrasounds, MRIs, PET scans, and as of the last nine months, I get injections every four to six weeks directly in my eye to help combat the damaging effects of the radiation. Most people have no clue there's anything wrong with me. I don't have to take chemo. I have little pain, and I usually, uh, the pain only usually lasts during the injection. I have to remind myself daily, I really have nothing to complain about. I've asked myself many times, why? Why did I have to go through this? But God is good, and in his sovereignty and his wisdom, he knew that I would meet people on a regular basis that were hurting, that were broken and scared. I try to live my life as close to normal as possible, although my normal is really not all that normal, so I've been told. Many that we have met are not so lucky, but my oncologist recognized something in my husband and I. She gives out my number on a regular basis to patients who need to have somebody to talk to. I get to talk to them about God, about how good he is. It's hard. It's really hard. I know what cancer can do. I'm constantly telling myself to focus on the good, focus on my family, to focus on the journey who gave me this journey. God is good all the time. And when I speak with a new friend and I share God's love with them and I encourage them to trust him, it encourages me too. And God knows that I need that. It is like I'm talking to myself. On days I need to hear those words the most are the days that I get a desperate text or a call begging for help or clarity. I can't give clarity, but I know who can. And it's not an easy place to be in when you are a person others look up to for strength, support, love, guidance, or friendship, especially when you yourself need all those things. But God has never, never, 
asked me to do something for someone else that he hasn't already given me the words or will give me the words to say, and it hasn't benefited my heart in some way. To have such a diagnosis as cancer is something that causes stress and fear creeps in on a regular basis. We're human, especially on scan days. The fear of the unknown is at times completely overwhelming, but on those days when I can hardly breathe for fear of what may be found lurking somewhere else in my body, or on the days that I sit alone in a chair waiting for the next injection, I trust that when I call out to God, he is there. He is always there. Holding my hand, calming my heart, comforting my soul, and peace always comes. I encourage us all to remember that we may be in the midst of something horrible or scary or something new or unknown, but that regardless of where you are, God is already there. He has been there waiting for you, and he will walk through it with you. In some cases, he may have to carry you. What a blessing it is to lean on someone who has such an unwavering, unselfish, unconditional love for us. Whether we walk through something we caused or was allowed to happen to us, God is good and will give us everything we need to get us through it. As Christians, we are called to share the gospel. Nowhere does God give a pass where we are angry or hurting or sad or sick. We are to share his love at all times in everything we do. If he gave a pass, imagine what the Bible would look like if people like Job or Paul had been given a pass. Thank you, Jeremy, for the opportunity to share just a small part of my life really, really fast. I see you standing back there. (laughs) It may be something um, said all the time, but I can say it with absolute certainty. God is good all the time. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to speak quickly because I'm kind of short on time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut it down to one thing. I really just wanted to talk about God's goodness. Oh, by the way, my name's James Rosa. Uh, my beautiful wife, Catherine, we've been going to Summit since January, so just under a year. Um, one of the things I'm super thankful for is just the incredible love that we've experienced at this church. The brothers and sisters have welcomed us in with open arms and just experiencing um, the, the like sincere, honest, unity and oneness in spirit and oneness in mind that has just made the interaction so natural and so easy um, is a testament that God has adopted us all into his family, and I'm just so grateful for that. But real quick, I just want to talk about God's goodness specifically in my life through salvation um, because I was a kid that grew up in church my entire life. I've been going to church since I was six years old, but honestly, I practiced for most of my life a Christian uh, religion, really, where uh, I was a nominal Christian, like I, I went to church and uh, my parents, you know, had me do youth group and high school and, and a bunch of these different things where it was like on the outside, I was a really good kid, straight A student, like star athlete, like did all these things. My parents never had any complaints about me. Um, but in my hearts of hearts, I had no real honest desire for God in and of myself. Um, it was really all about me. You know, I did those things because it benefited me. Like, the less my parents had to yell at me and get on my back, the more time I had to play video games or go hang out with friends and things like that, right? Um, And it was really evident when I went off to college, because when I went off to college, I was a completely different person. I was lost um, and really rebellious and wanted nothing to do with God. And it wasn't a moment in my life um, where 
I almost died. And in this period, there was just such a burden um, that I, I knew inside that I didn't know God. And if I died, I would not spend eternity with him. I knew that. There was no doubt in my mind. And it was one of the most impactful experiences I've ever had in my life. It was one of the scariest things I've ever had in my life. And it was one of the best things that ever happened in my life because in that moment, even though I had never really made it my own, everything that God had ever spoken to me through my parents, through the people at the church, through the people who had mentored me growing up, immediately at that time he used to speak to my soul and, and reveal to me my necessity for him, my great, great need for him. Um, and he absolutely changed my life from that moment on. Uh, and it's, it's something that I can't explain and, and something that I think to myself all the time, why me? Because I was just so bad, you know? I wanted nothing to do with him. And, and it speaks to me so much of his grace and of his doing and of his action, of his seeking me and not the other way around. And I just want to testify that that's the kind of God that we serve, is a God who pursues us in spite of us. And because of that, he is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. Amen. Don't worry, I'm the last one. I'm going to be quick. <laughs> I know we're all hungry. My name's Catherine. James is my husband. Um, like he said, we've been coming to Summit since January. And um, I'm really glad he didn't take mine. I thought he was going to for a second. Um, I can be, I can talk forever about um, God's goodness in my life and in the past. And even just this year, you know, when, when Jeremy asked us to speak, I was, you know, I said, well, why would he ask us? You know, what, what is it about us? Like, what happened to us? Maybe... Maybe we have like a trial that we went through, and I'm, babe, what did, what did we go through this year? You know, like, what, what bad thing happened to us? I can't, I can't think of anything. And, and it's not to say that nothing bad has happened to us this year, but that God is so good to us that even in the midst of all the bad things that have happened, like, life is good. I mean, I have salvation. I know I'm going to heaven when I die, and so nothing on this earth will ever be bad. You know, it will, it will hurt. It will suck. It's no fun. I don't like it. Um, but with Christ, I mean, the hope that we have is just amazing. And, and I look at our unsafe friends and my coworkers, and, and they don't have hope. And, and I don't want to live like that again. I, you know, I think of my past and, and not having that hope that I had in Christ. And, and I don't want to go back there. And so, you know, this year we've, we've gone through some things. When we started coming to Summit, James and I were both unemployed with a house payment, and that was, a, you know, a good time in our life. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that, that, was, that could have been scary and everything, but we had Christ, and, and in that, that's when we came to Summit. And we, we'd come from a church. We'd been at that church for years and years and lots of friends and everything, but we felt God leading us away from there due to some theological differences. And so... We searched for a church, and, and I'll tell you, the first day we came here, I have a confession to make. I didn't want to come. <laughs> I, we sat in the car, and I said, what if we just went back home, maybe watched a sermon online? I don't want to come. <laughs> um, we'd been to several churches, and I was just kind of tired of essentially having my heart broken. You know, We weren't finding the church that we felt God was wanting us to be in with a loving church family and where the word was taught and preached faithfully. And so thankful that James made me come, <laughs> get out the car. And we came in, and Isaac and Lily were here, our good friends. And, and we've been at Summit, and, and we are so grateful for this church and for everyone here, the friends that we've made so far. And, 
And I think things really started to change for us when we started serving in the youth. Shout out to my kids. Um, it's, it's really helped us stay accountable and feel plugged in and feel a part of the church family, which we desperately, desperately needed, especially when we were feeling really un alone during the unemployment and, and other things that were going on. And so I'm just so grateful that God led us here and led us to all of you and, and that we have a church family now that we love and enjoy and hope to have over to our home soon. Um, Thomas and Laura first, though, and then we'll get to you, you other guys. But um, we, we are so grateful, and, and um, I'm just so, so blessed to be here and to um, just know God and know that I have a hope in the future. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> We're done. We are done. So you got to get your kids because they've been in there and if you have them there. But if you're new with us, please stop at the back table unless you have kids. Go get your kids, then come to the back table. Love you guys. Have a great Thanksgiving. Hope to see you next Sunday if you're in town.